Thank you, Andreas, and singers, and all the musicians for a wonderful worship service. Thank you for that third song. You know, we've been singing about two songs every service for, for a long time now, but as we're getting back to normal services, we can extend our worship time a little bit longer, and uh, it's, good to, it's good to sing, and it's good to be in God's house together. Well, it looks like more of you are, are finished with your holiday, whether it was the New Year 2023 or the Chinese New Year traveling. We're glad that you've made it through it. We're glad that you were able to travel safely, uh, but we're certainly glad that you're back here with us and in the house of God again. Amen? So it's good to see all of you uh, here with us today. We want to go back into the book of Romans today. Romans chapter 9. And as I mentioned in our last, the last time we were in Romans, we're going to look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. And instead of going through the whole three chapters, verse by verse, I wanted to just highlight a few points from these three chapters. Remember that in these three chapters, Paul's primary focus is on Israel, his own countrymen, the nation and the people who for the most part rejected the Messiah, Jesus, when he came into the world. They didn't believe. And so there's this hardening going on with the house of Israel. And because of that, the doors for the gospel has gone into all the world. And so even though Israel rejected their Messiah, the good news of the Messiah has gone into all the world. And now all nations are called to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul mentioned last time we looked at this, how heartbroken he was as he considered his own people, his family, his neighbors, his friends, and the fact that they are lost without Christ. He's praying for them. He'll never stop witnessing to them. And so in these three chapters, we talked about first Paul's heart. Today we're going to look at the potter's hands and we'll end it next time with the preacher's hope. Again, all coming from chapters 9, 10, and 11. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 9, verse 6 to 24. And we're going to consider today's topic, which is the potter's hands. And so first, why don't we go ahead and find that in our Bibles, Romans chapter 9. We're going to start reading from verse 6 all the way to verse 24. And I'm going to add one more verse to it as well from chapter 10. But when you find that, could you just stand with me please? And we'll stand in honor of God's Word and read this together. I'm reading, of course, from the New King James Version. Yours might be different, but same message. Beginning at verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For nay, they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, 
but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And then if you'll just look real quick at chapter 10, verse 21. But to Israel he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Amen. You may be seated. We just read a pretty large amount of scripture there. And you may have scratched your head at some of what we just read. It's a little bit difficult to understand. And to be honest with you, there are people today who still study this chapter and still find some things hard to understand. The Apostle Peter, he wrote in Scripture that some of the things that Paul teaches about, sometimes it's hard to understand. Paul was brilliant in the way that he laid out the teaching of who God is, but sometimes it takes time for us to really dig in to see what Paul is saying about God. So that's what we're going to have to do today. And I know we're sort of taking a large chunk of text, and we're going to probably go through it quite fast, but I'm hoping to at least highlight some truths about God, especially on the topic of Him being the potter, and we are the clay in His hands. First of all, remember Paul's audience who he's talking about right now he's talking about the nation of israel again they have rejected and they have refused god's mercy through jesus christ they thought in fact they said to jesus one day they said listen we are the descendants of abraham in other words we don't need you to save us we're already saved just by simply being descendants of abraham they were wrong about that. In fact, that's how Paul opens up today's verses. He says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. In other words, the true Israel, the true children of God, it's not about being born into that family. It's not about being a descendant of Abraham. It's about something else. It teaches us that salvation was never about 
belonging to a certain family. Salvation is about believing in a promise by God. And that's the way it still works today. Today, as you sit in the sanctuary, you all come from different families and many from different cultures, different countries and different languages. Nevertheless, it's not because of who your parents were or are. It's not because of the language or the culture you come from. You are saved today by believing in the promise of God. Amen? This was a lesson that Israel needed to learn. It's not about who they were. It's about who God was. It wasn't about belonging to Israel. It was about believing in the promise of God. Those are the true Israel or children of God. And so Paul is going to expand on this for a moment. And he's going to talk about this image of the potter and the clay, which is a very familiar, familiar illustration in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah spoke of it this way. The prophet Jeremiah did. Even in the New Testament, we have the example of God being the potter, and we are simply earthen vessels in the potter's hands. I love the illustration in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. God was speaking through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel who was rebelling. They were following after different gods. They were worshiping idols. And God spoke through Jeremiah to them. And he said to Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and just watch. Jeremiah said, I went to the potter's house and the potter sat at the wheel and he had clay in his hands. And what was made was now ruined. And so that potter, I watched him as he remolded and reshaped that vessel to become whatever he wanted it to become. And God spoke through that image to Israel and he said, Are you not in my hands? Am I not the potter and you are the clay in my hands? And he said to them, if I speak to a nation and I'm going to judge that nation because of their evil and I'm looking to mar them, to ruin them in my hands, if that nation will turn and repent, turn and believe, oh, then I will reshape and mold. I will not bring disaster, but I will bring healing. If, on the other hand, I speak blessing to a nation and I, and I say of what I want to do and how I want to bless them, if that nation instead rebels against me, then remember, you're in my hands and I will mold disaster upon you. And so in that image, the potter molds and at the same time, it's up to the clay what kind of vessel they want to be. If they turn to the potter and believe they are molded into his wonderful, honorable vessel. But if they choose to rebel, if they choose to serve other gods, they choose to go, to go their own way, then the potter will mold them into destruction. That's the message from Jeremiah. Jeremiah brought that message to the people. And when they heard it, they said, we don't care. We won't listen. We'll do our own thing. And destruction came upon them. So today we want to look at, again, this image of the potter and the clay. Yes, we are not the nation of Israel, but we are the people of God, and we are the clay in His hands. 
And so as we look at the potter today, I want to show you a few things about him. A few things that are taught to us in these verses. I want to show you how the potter is full of wisdom. Infinite wisdom. I want to show you that there is power and there's wrath from the potter. And at the same time, there is patience and mercy. And last, as we get to the end of today's message, I want us all to consider the potter's hands. The hands that mold us, what kind of hands are they? So let's begin. Let's consider the potter and consider, number one, the potter's wisdom. Wisdom. It's an important thing for all of us to believe and to trust in God even when we don't understand what's going on. Look what he says in verses 7 to 9. He says, In Isaac your seed shall be called. That was the promise of God. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. What Paul is doing is he's drawing from stories in the Old Testament to make his point. And the first point here is that the potter is wise in all that he does. And the first illustration is what God did in the family of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, and through the generations of that son, one day Messiah would come into the world, Jesus Christ. That was the promise of God. What did Abraham need to do? All he had to do was believe it. That's it. But he didn't do that. Because there was a problem, humanly speaking. The problem was Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were really old at this point. Abraham was already reaching 90 and, and Sarah was not too far behind. Already beyond childbirth. And they had never had children ever. So she's barren, let alone being old already. And so Abraham and Sarah thought, well, maybe we have to take the matter into our own hands. And so Sarah gave Abraham her maidservant, Hagar, an Egyptian woman. Ab Abraham went into Hagar, and Hagar conceived and bore a son named Ishmael. And then Abraham was reminded by God, that's not what I said. I did not leave this up to you to accomplish. I spoke that I would give you a son. I will come and Sarah shall bear a son. All Abraham had to do was believe the word of God, but he didn't. Instead, he tried to work to make this thing accomplish. He tried to put his own effort and his own power to make this thing happen. And after God reminded him of the promise to believe in, Sarah conceived Isaac. And then Isaac was born, the promised child. Now when that happened, Abraham had two sons. One was born out of his own will and out of his own flesh, out of his own efforts. The other one was born simply because God promised. And in the end, God chose Isaac. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. He was the promise. He was the promise of God. And even though Abraham pleaded with God, please God, make Ishmael this one. Make it Ishmael, my oldest son. Let him stand before you. Bless him. God said no. 
That is not my decision. I chose Isaac. You must believe and trust in what I'm doing. Do you know that as the years went on, Ishmael became a big nation of people. And God even said to his mother, Hagar, that Ishmael is always going to be in confrontation even with his brothers. And of all the nations that will come from Ishmael, there's always going to be fighting and war and people against people. Do you know that until this very day, today, the people of Ishmael, they make up about 20 nations in the Middle East. And almost all of them today are bitter enemies of Israel. Now, Abraham didn't know all that. Abraham didn't know what he was actually causing to happen when he took matters into his own hands. When he stopped believing and started trying to perform to get this thing done, he didn't know how things would work out. He didn't know who Ishmael would become one day. He didn't know that it would form many nations who would hate Israel. Abraham didn't know that. But you know who did? God. God knew that. God has an infinite wisdom. And he knew these things would take place. And in his wisdom, he did not choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. And the point is that that word that was given, Abraham needed to just simply listen and obey. Believe. Have faith. There's another example. Isaac. After Isaac was born, he was older, he married Rebecca. And then when Rebecca was pregnant, here's now what happens as Paul writes it. And not only this, but when Rebecca also conceived by one man, Isaac, for the children that were in her, not even being born yet, nor having done any good or evil, but that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. So here is Rebekah, also was barren, and yet God blessed Isaac and Rebekah. And now she had twins growing within. And before they were ever born, before they did anything at all, good or bad, God had already decided He's going to choose the younger one to carry on this promise of God in Israel. He's going to choose the younger, and He said the older is going to serve the younger. Now, in biblical days, that's not how it works. In biblical days, the oldest carries on the blessing of the family and the inheritance, and the younger serves the older. But do you know that God is not bound by our cultures? He's not bound by our traditions? He's not bound by what your parents want you to do and where they want you to go? God will do what He does. And in His wisdom, He chose Jacob. Not Esau. Jacob, the younger one. And the Bible also says, quoting God, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now that hate isn't the way we mean it today. This word hate in Scripture means more like I have rejected him. I have not accepted him. So in other words, we could say, Jacob I have accepted and Esau I have rejected. The same idea is with the two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain brought a sacrifice of his works. 
the way he wanted to do it. He wanted to impress God. Abel's sacrifice was completely by faith. And the Bible says that God accepted Abel, but he did not accept Esau. This is the same thing. Now these two boys grew up and we find out that Jacob, he loved the things of God. In fact, Jacob made this wonderful proclamation to God. If you will be with me, then you will be my God. I will follow you and I will do what you call me to do. That was Jacob's heart with God. But Esau had no such heart. Esau despised the things of God. He didn't care about blessing. He didn't care about inheritance. He didn't care about the things of God like Jacob did. And as time went on, even though these two brothers were reconciled with each other, the descendants of Esau would grow to hate the descendants of Jacob. When the enemies of Israel came to destroy them and to take them into captivity, it was the nations of Esau and Edom that applauded the enemies of Israel. Come and take them away. They even assisted in it and helped the enemies of Israel take them into captivity. And for all these things, God eventually said, I have hated Esau. I have rejected him. But Jacob I have loved. Now Isaac, their father, he tried to get Esau to carry on the blessing. Even though God had spoken, Isaac didn't believe it. And he tried as hard as he could to make sure Esau got the blessing. But God wouldn't have that. And through a series of events, Jacob carried on that blessing. Now did Isaac know what Esau would become? Does Isaac, did Isaac know about the enemies that would be created for Israel? Did he know that it would be so horrible and so hostile that they would actually treat the Israelites like this? Of course he didn't. How could he know that? But you know who did know it? God. God in His infinite wisdom. He could see all of them in the future. And He already knew who He would choose ahead of time. This is the wisdom of God. He knows the things we don't know. And then Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And the answer is, certainly not. Now let's step away for a moment. Sometimes we feel like God's not doing what we thought He should do in our life. Perhaps God chooses one way over our way. Or maybe even like in a church ministry, maybe God raised up one minister and didn't raise up another minister. God does many things. And sometimes we don't understand why or what He's up to. Is it right for us to ask this question? Do we come to the conclusion that, God, you must be unfair? God, it must be because you make mistakes or that you don't know what you're doing. Because sometimes it really does seem like that, God. So maybe you don't love as much as you say. Maybe you don't know as much as you claim. Is that the right conclusion that we come to? No, it is not. The conclusion we come to is that God knows what we do not know. God can see what we do not see. And we need to learn to believe in God. You'll often find in your own life, in fact, you probably said this many times, I was going to do this, I prayed about it, it didn't work out, so evidently 
God had a different way. You ever say that? That's common. And that's true. But you know, it's not just a different way. If God chooses another way, it's not just a different way. You know what it is? It's a better way. God's not just out there to just change your plans, ruin your plans, or, or shock you and surprise you. He wants to do what is best for you. And do you believe that He knows what is best for you? He does. Through times of confusion, through times of disappointment, or when things don't go according to plan, up above is a loving God with infinite wisdom. And He says to you, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Amen? I couldn't help but think, and I don't want to embarrass her, but Steffi, I've been praying for you. Because I know just like many other young people, you're ready for college and you're sending out applications and you're praying and hoping the right one will call and you'll go to the right place at the right time. And so I was praying for Steffi because there are many applications out there and nobody knows where she's going to go yet, what school will accept her. And I just thought to myself, maybe, I mean, if I were Steffi, I might feel like this too. Maybe I do have one school in mind. Yes, I put out many applications and they're all out there and I know God will do what's best, but oh my goodness, if this one calls me, I will be the most happy. So I'm kind of hoping this is the one that's going to work out. Steffi, no matter what happens, wherever you go and whatever you do, you look up and God says to you, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Let's believe in God. Amen? He's wise. So as He shapes us, as He molds our life, as He carries us through, we must trust in His wisdom. Amen? Number two, we also find the patience of the potter. In fact, in these verses, you're going to find that He is patient and He is merciful. He is compassionate. He's filled with love. But we're also going to see something about His power and His wrath as well. So Paul comes up with some more illustrations for us to consider the potter. And he comes up with an, a story concerning Moses and Israel. He says in verse 15 and 16, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, it's not of him who runs. In other words, it's not about our performance to God to 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 deserve or earn His mercy. Instead, it is of God who shows mercy even when we don't deserve it. Consider again Paul's audience, the Israelites. The Israelites have not only rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, but now they're watching as that gospel is now being proclaimed throughout all the nations, being proclaimed into the Gentile nations, those idol worshipers, those pagans. And they're being told that if those pagan worshipers and those idol, the, the idolaters, if they will just believe in the gospel message, they will be saved. And they see them excited and joyful and clapping. We are now the children of God. What does Israel think about that? Are you kidding me? God doesn't show mercy to idolaters. God doesn't show mercy to those pagan cultures. How can God do something like that? And Paul's answer 
is what we just read. God says, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And he brings us back in that quote to another story. Israel came out of Egypt. God delivered them. First stop, Mount Sinai. God begins to speak from that mountain. The people are terrified. They back away from that voice and they say, Moses, you go up there and talk to God. Tell us what he said. We'll do what he says. So Moses goes up into the darkness of that mountain and he spends that time with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments, which all begins with reminding Israel, I am the Lord who rescued you out of Israel. I'm your deliverer. You shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you are not to make any idols and worship them. So Moses got, got the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, and he comes down from the mountain, and what does he find? Israel in a crazy wild celebration and worship they evidently took all the gold they melted it they created a golden calf and when they made that idol they said now here is our god this is the one that delivered us out of israel and they began to worship and act like crazy dogs around that idol and when moses saw it you can imagine how angry he was and he smashed the tablets God was also angry at them, and many people died as a result. Many people died because of the wrath of God. Moses prayed for the people, and God relented from that judgment. God decided to hold back. You know, if God wanted to, he could have destroyed all of them and just start brand new with Moses and his family. But God was merciful. To who? Idolaters. They were worshiping an idol and a false god. And Paul is reminding Israel, you did it too. You were also idolaters, but God showed you mercy. Doesn't he have the right now to show all the world, whomever he wants, mercy? Of course he does. You know what's amazing, especially in that story, What's amazing is not that God would show rejection or wrath or judgment. We expect those things from a holy God, don't we? What's amazing is that God would show anybody mercy and compassion. The creator of the world, he has the right and the authority to do as he desires. But what do we find in his desire? He's full of patience full of mercy, full of compassion. Paul says, remember Pharaoh. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. And Paul's example of this hardening is Pharaoh. But recall the story of Pharaoh. What exactly did God do to Pharaoh? Well, you'll find in the story of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, when he didn't want to let the people of Israel go, God began to send, send plagues upon Egypt. You know the story. Well, the Bible tells us, if you read the whole story, 
exactly 20 times it is mentioned the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. 20 times you'll read those words about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And you'll also find that exactly 10 times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then exactly 10 times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What happened in that story? God said to Moses, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But when you do that, I know, because I know Pharaoh. I know he won't listen. So I'm going to demonstrate my power among his people. And they will know that I am the Lord God, the one true God. So Moses and Aaron go. It all begins with their staff. They throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. There was a sign. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? Who is he that I should listen to him? And then the plagues began. Water turned into blood. Frogs came out of the water. There was lice all over the land. And eventually the people of, of Pharaoh said, listen, this is the finger of God. And they began to be afraid of God, but not Pharaoh. The Bible says continually that he kept hardening his heart, hardening his heart. And finally God sent hail upon the land with fire that rained down and killed the livestock. And finally God says to Pharaoh, how long, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? And then the Bible says that God began to harden Pharaoh's heart. God judged him. You want to harden your heart? Well, then God says, I'll harden it for you. God judged him, raised him up just to show how powerful God was. So now what's the message to Israel? The message is, don't do what Pharaoh did. Don't harden your heart to God because that's what's already happening. And if you harden your heart to God, the day may come where he may harden your heart for you. And instead of saying, I will not believe, you may end up saying, I cannot believe. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that when they refused to believe in Jesus, they said things like, we will not have this man reign over us. We will not. The Bible finally says, then God blinded them so they could not see. God closed their ears so they could not hear. That was the judgment he sent upon a people who refused to believe and refused to repent. Now God showed patience to Pharaoh. God showed patience to Israel. Jesus, when he came, he showed such incredible patience to the people, even when they didn't believe. Paul says, you will say to me then, so then why does God find fault? If that's what God's going to do, if that's what God decides to do, then who says no to him? So then that means like Pharaoh, God hardened his heart, so now Pharaoh, whose heart is hard, he's just following the will of God, isn't he? No. Paul has already taught us in Romans chapter 1, no man has an excuse. No man has the excuse to resist God. Romans 1, people resist and they suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. Even though they know there's a God, they refuse to believe, they refuse to acknowledge Him, they refuse to be thankful, and their foolish hearts become darkened. They become fools, and then God says, I will give them up to their own debased minds. I will give them over 
to their own darkness and foolishness. Pharaoh had no excuse. People today have no excuse. God calls all to repentance. Let me close with this last point. The potter's hands. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Listen to those words. The potter has power over the clay. No matter who you are, no matter how rich someone may be or powerful or successful, the potter always has power over the clay. That means we better get right with him. Amen? I was reading in my devotion a few days ago. I was in Psalm 9, verse 20. And David says it so wonderfully and so simply. I love how he puts this. He says to God about the nations of the world, put them in fear, O Lord. Put them in fear that the nations may know themselves to be but men. We are just creatures. We are just human beings. We are just clay in the hands of the potter. We are but men. And he ends it with Selah, which means pause for a moment and think about this. We must humble ourselves for the potter always has power over the clay. The last few verses that we read today says, What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering, that's patience, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory, even among us whom He called, not just the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. In closing, I want to show you there are vessels of wrath and there are vessels of mercy. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels of mercy prepared for glory. But in these two situations, do you notice that same word is used, prepared? You see that? It's not just the vessels of wrath being prepared. Vessels of mercy are being prepared. And although those two words are the same in the English language to be prepared, in the Greek, these are not the same words. These have two different meanings. In the case of the vessels of wrath, to be prepared means it's an ongoing process, almost like a response to the clay. As a response to people, God is preparing in the process of preparing them vessels of wrath. But you notice in the second prepare, the vessels of mercy, it's prepared beforehand. Meaning it's God that has done something already from eternity past. Like the end of Romans 8, that God who has known us by His wisdom, the God who has called us, the God who has justified us, is the God who has glorified us. Though that glory is still future, it's as good as done right now. He has glorified us. We are prepared for glory. But the vessels of wrath are being prepared for destruction. What does that mean? 
Just like in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that God is patient and God is good and He waits for sinners to repent. And one of the lessons of this is for sinners, don't confuse God's patience with God's permission to live in that sin. God is patient and Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that that patience, that goodness, it's what leads us to repentance. However, if you harden your heart and do not repent, you are storing up for yourselves wrath. What does that mean? It means as you sit here today, if you choose to rebel and resist and you do not repent, God will fashion you into a vessel of wrath and judgment and you will be destroyed in judgment. On the other hand, as God promised in Jeremiah, if you will just turn, believe in God, He will refashion you as a vessel of mercy. Vessels of mercy prepared for glory. Remember this as I end today's message. Remember this concerning the potter's hands. Remember his hands. Look at them right now. They are pierced. His hands are pierced because he was crucified for sins. For sinners today, if you want to know if God is serious about your sin, just remember he sent his only begotten son to be crucified on a cross for sin. You think God is serious with sin? And what will he do with the one who refuses to trust in his son? A vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. Make no mistake, God is serious with sin. So serious that the Son of God pierced his hands on a wooden cross for you. Remember the potter's hands because also they are pierced and the child of God remembers that's how much God loves me. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember the potter's hands. They show us how serious God is with sin and they show us how much God loves us and desires to save us if we will trust in him. Musicians, would you come? I did read that one more verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 21. Let me read it one more time. God says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Yes, even though Israel disobeyed, even though they were rebelling against him, Yet he says, I stretch out my hands to you. And I believe God does the same thing today. 2,000 years ago, at a rugged wooden cross, God stretched out his hands for us. And he was crucified for us. And now today, in this sanctuary, the same God stretches his hands out to you. And he says, come, come and be saved. Come and receive mercy and compassion. Come and be healed. Come and be forgiven. That's the potter.
And so the only question left is, what will you do? What will you do? If we can all stand together as the worship team sings another song, as we worship the Lord together, maybe you're here today and you just want to come before God and say, Lord, I just want to express my desire right now to put my life into your hands. You are the potter. I am the clay. Make me a vessel of mercy. I trust in you. I believe. And maybe some of you are going through something right now, a trial or a difficult moment, and you just need to come to God to say, Lord, I need to trust in you. I'm putting everything into your hands. You are the potter. You have your way. As we sing today, if that's you today, I want you to come and I'll meet you here. I'll meet you right here and I'll pray with you and believe with you that the potter will lay good hands upon your life and do what he will do. As we sing, if you'd like me to pray with you, come and I will. Praise the Lord. Brother Andreas.